Welcome to the Business of Health podcast. This is a podcast that highlights issues that could cost group health agents and brokers thousands of dollars. The health insurance industry is constantly changing. And each episode, we're going to give you tools to grow a profitable business and better serve your clients. I'm your host, Mike Martins. Now, let's grow your health business. Well, welcome to another edition of Business of Health. We've got an encore presentation today, and it's a super pleasure to have Janet Troutwine back. As you know, she is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Association of Health Underwriters. And as we know it today, we're going to talk about that. In addition, she serves as the president of the Nahu Education Fund in Washington, D.C. And Janet really is our industry's regulatory liaison for all things in the health insurance industry. As I mentioned, she was on the Business of Health earlier this year, and we talked a lot about the association and upcoming events. And fortunately, she committed that she would come back and do another session with us after the midterm elections. So, Janet, welcome back to the Business of Health. It's great to have you on the show again. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. It's our pleasure. And we got a lot of really positive feedback from the last show, and I anticipate the same here because I think everybody is anxious to know. And they're probably anxious to know the answers to questions that may not have yet been asked, but they're anxious to get some insight on what the results of the midterm may have on the industry in the short term, and how could that possibly change things for the general election in 2024. But before we get into the weeds on that, let's talk about updates on the name change, because that's just around the corner, right? It is, yes. Just a couple of weeks. And we're going to tell us again from National Association of Health Underwriters to? It will be the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Okay. And so if you think about that, that's much more appropriate. I agree. Our members are. And it, it will be pronounced, uh, the acronym is NABIP, not NABIP, not N-A-B-I-P. It's, it's, everyone will all say at the same as time, NABIP. Okay. Uh, and, and then that helps us with you know, establishing our brand with a new name and that type of thing. I think it's much more specific to what really we are all doing. And yeah. that's that's exciting. I'm I'm anxious to to get that get that up and running. Well, let's let's talk about the midterm elections a little bit. And I've got several points and I know you've got some other points, but I guess my first question would be, are there specific issues or general issues that you see moving forward through Congress with this change? Or could there be some things with this change that simply fade away? But before we get into to kind of uh, forecasting what we think might happen, what's currently on the table that could potentially change positively or negatively with this shift of power at the House of Representatives? Well, I guess I would start off saying that, of course, we all expected there to be a much bigger shift of power. We thought there would be a much more significant Republican majority, even if we followed historically what had happened before. And at similar points in a an election cycle, we would have expected to have elected many more Republicans than we did. And I think we need to think about, you know, why that was. But what it means moving forward is that the majority is so narrow that they may not be able to get a lot of things done because you know, the Democrats still control the Senate. And so their ability to get anything done is minimal. And so it'll be more important for them 
to try to work on a bipartisan basis, but will they? Because as we've seen, every time someone mentions that they might try to do something on bipartisan, it's complete heresy to some people, and and then they get a lot of really hard pushback because of it. Well, and in the brokers and agents that we work with and have had conversations with, I'd say that's the number one question that has come up is, is this shift enough to break loose some of the log jams, and are they going to be able to actually show progress, or are we still going to continue with just in the term that I use is infighting between the parties and we continue to just stagnate. I mean, and it kind of sounds like you're kind of leaning that direction too. The majority's there, but it's not strong. It's not. And the and even with what we have, there's so much. I mean, if we if we can't even say who the speaker is because of the infighting, mm-hmm. if we can't even for sure. I mean, Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker, I'm sure. Right. He's got his work cut out for him because they. Um, it's very, very difficult to per- control a caucus. They have a lot of extreme viewpoints. And it's really uh, interesting that that's what's pushing back on him. Because if we could, if we look at the election, you know, the election was kind of a reflection on just the opposite. Yeah. For example, you know, the it was the age of uh, I think we saw probably as much ticket splitting in in this race as we've ever seen. And you can look at even just look at Pennsylvania, for example. In Pennsylvania, we all saw it was because it was very uh, visible and it was a very you know popular to watch this race with Fetterman and Mehmet Oz, Doctor mm-hmm. Oz, you know. Right. It's fun to watch and the whole thing. And we really didn't know for a while who would win. So Fetterman, the Democrat, pulled out of that, but he barely did. Barely. Yet the governor, the Democratic governor, won by a landslide. Uh-huh. And that shows that's a perfect example of ticket splitting when you see even in the same party to the same thing in Georgia. Yes. The same thing had the governor, the Republican governor landslide. And then there was this highly publicized race, you know, with Walker and Warnock. And it was so close. You know, theoretically, if if there was just a bunch of Republicans coming out to vote, then both candidates would have won. But they were not but even, you know, people there's more independents out there than we think vote or who they thought the best candidate was. I could not agree with you more. I think that there's another issue that kind of folds into this that deals with polling with all of the pressure because I don't I can't think of a better term with all of the pressure that's out there and people being so strongly opinionated. I'm not sure that a lot of voters are as open to expressing their opinions and their thoughts prior to an election as to what they're going to do when the curtain closes behind them. And I agree with you. I I think this, the two-party system certainly still exists, but it's breaking apart and it's breaking apart at its own hands. And I think a lot of the public are, they're tired of trying to follow the old ideology, and they're looking very specifically at the candidate. And I found that same thing very interesting, that people are not, they're not strictly voting party lines anymore. They're picking and choosing their specific candidate, and that's the button they're pushing. I think the, the number one reason why people did that is because you know, there was a really mixed bag of the quality of the candidates. You know, some of them were almost, in my opinion, a joke. I it could be that way. No, but some, of them, some of them were, and they, they were not. They were not the quality that you would expect for a candidate that had been vetted sufficiently. Mostly the number one thing, particularly in a national race. But the other thing is, I think people discounted the ability of things that were going to bring people out. You know, people are worried about the economy. 
and they're, you know, they've seen a lot of really extreme things happen and everyone has their favorite who they want to blame it on. But in, yeah. but in, in general, if you look at the way people voted that actually came out to vote, a lot of people like to talk about things and then they never bother to go to the polls. True. But, you know, they were rejecting extremism. The, the whole abortion issue really brought out a lot of people on both sides, mm-hmm. you know, that felt really strongly one way or another. That was a main issue. But the economy was probably something that hit home to a lot of people. If you think of all the things we've had to deal with, uh, you know, with that. There were a few things that were interesting with one of the most interesting things to me. I do want to answer your question about what we can expect, but I think we need to look at this race as instructive that we need to watch. You know, that's to help us figure strategy. That's what we're doing in our office. We're figuring what's the strategy for working with this, you know, new group of people. And and we're even drilling down all the way to governors and states where they have, you know, appointees underneath them. For example, in um, Nevada, you know, there was this hugely competitive race. Mm-hmm. with um, Cortez Masto and, and Adam Luxall, and she ended up winning barely. But the governor, or the Republican, unseated a Democratic governor. Yeah. Now, that's interesting for us, uh, as one of the things that we work on is public option and things like that that would disrupt private health care system. And they have one in that they have passed into law in Nevada. And we're hoping that the governor will you know, pull back the reins a little bit on how quickly that moves along, or perhaps he might have the ability to kill it or water it down so significantly. Give us an update on on that particular piece of legislation. What is the time frame on that? Is it? It's now up to 24 or 25, I think, when it okes okay. into effect. It added a year um, to it. But there's a lot of ways to cause that to unravel in, in other ways that because he really used that a lot during his campaign. He talked about it as, you know, interfering with the private market and that kind of thing. So there's just things like that where you you need to watch the national races. You really need to watch the governor's races as well, because those governors, you know, they're the executive in their states. So those are just you know, one of the things. And state regulation is huge to us, particularly for the brokers and agents that are working in multiple states. They really control what happens from a health insurance perspective in their state. And the governors and the state legislatures are critically important. And I've always encouraged everybody, you know, if you really should be involved in what's going on in your state and know who the players are and what their positions are, because that's potentially going to impact you either positively or negatively much more than potential federal legislative issue. Much more quickly, for sure. Yeah. It can no. happen, you know, practically overnight. No question. So the uh, the other thing that I think is really important is to look at these committee chairs. And we don't know in the House who all the committee chairs will be, but we know, and now we now know in the Senate, uh, pretty much how that's going to go over there. Mm-hmm. So one of the most interesting, interesting, and I don't use that in a, a good way, will be uh, Bernie Sanders will be heading the Senate Health Committee, which is where a lot of you know employer health plan issues are considered. Right. You know that he'll bring back up. We, you know, we expect to see some hearings on his Medicare for All favorite bill of all time that he loves. The issue with that is. It would be impossible, probably, for that to pass. But what it does is it stirs up discussion about this. It stirs up people at the state level. We were talking about states. Right. Think about, well, if we couldn't do it at the federal level, would that, is that something 
that would happen at home in our state. And it also stirs up interest in public option. So we're going to be really involved with those. We know those discussions will come up. And the, the, his Republican counterpart is Bill Cassidy, who's a very strong policy person. On, who's you know He has a lot of personal interest in that. He um, has some interesting ideas about surprise billing, and we might find some things that modify relative su- to surprise billing. Okay. The fact that he's the ranking member in the Senate Help Committee. So that's just sort of something that could happen kind of um, behind the scenes. And then a couple of things to watch for. I'm still weeding through it, but there's a really large report that the Congressional Budget Office has put out about where some savings could be realized. And that's always dangerous when they do that. Because the number one thing that ends up on their list every time is always the employer tax exclusion on employer employer paid benefits. Benefits. Yeah. So that the you know that employees would lose that benefit of that not being taxed. It's worth over three hundred billion dollars a year in lost federal revenue, that tax benefit. So you know, they always look at it as one of the top three items to see whether or not they can cap it, take it away, repurpose it, and spend that money on something else that they want to do. So as we see a lot of attention focused on Medicare and Medicaid and those kind of things, just know that any increases in the benefits that they come up with will have to be paid for. So I'm really going through um, you know, what all the things are that the CBO has listed out there. I did see that that is one of them is taking away that, that exclusion or capping it. And they've got some interesting things there. My point is, it's not just what they bring up, it's how they plan to pay for what they bring up. Yes, true. And whether or not there's an unintended consequence there. And then we're going to see a lot more on telehealth. There's bipartisan support for that. All different versions of telehealth. And let's talk about that for a second, because one of the things that is making some huge gains, and they're very positive gains, in Mike's terminology is self-care is technology. I had a guest on, uh, David Smith, with the LumaView, who is a company that develops the backroom operational functions for what we consider wearable technology. And he shared with us what where this is going and, and what a incredible diagnostic tool it's going to become beyond just your blood pressure and your steps and the, the things that normally are being measured now. So we are huge advocates, and I think most agents are of telemedicine. And the only good thing that came out of COVID COVID was people learned how to use telemedicine because they were forced to do it. And we've had that in our plans for multiple years with negligible utilization. COVID comes along, now we're at 30%. 40% utilization on telemedicine is a huge component. When you talk about changes, do you see positive changes? Do you see more regulation? What kind of things do you think might come out of that? Well, the one they're currently working on right now is to make sure that we don't have a, a disconnect with HSAs so that yep. it doesn't disqualify plan from having first dollar telemedicine benefits. But that's just one of them. You know, they're looking at, you know, whether or not telemedicine could be offered as like a MEC plan or whether it could be offered even to people who don't qualify for the regular benefits, maybe because of hours or some other, you know, maybe they're in waiting periods, for example, oh, sure. for, uh, for, for groups that need to use those. And then we have uh, some other people that are looking at the ability to, to do audio only after the public emergency, audio only uh, in areas where there's not a good internet connection. And, and then there's the issue, the, the final issue, I mean, they're really doing all kinds of work on this. The other one has to do with Whatever they do at the federal level 
how does that interfere or interact with state laws regarding delivery of telemedicine, particularly as it relates to behavioral health and whether or not there are rules about whether or not telemedicine in particular states can be offered, can behavioral health can be offered through telemedicine means, is only certain types of providers. And then on the Medicare side, and by the way, anything that they look at on Medicare has a trickle-down effect onto the other plans. So on the Medicare side, they're really talking a lot, and also on others are, are, but about whether or not a telemedicine visit should be paid the same way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if if you, in fact, you have to pay a telemedicine provider the same as in person, are we still realizing the savings that were envisioned? Correct. Those are the main telemedicine aspects. But they do have, um, a lot of them have good bipartisan support. And so we expect action on telemedicine. You know, there's also a lot of looking into, so telemedicine is complicated. Mental health is complicated. Of course, yeah. There's a lot of looking into increasing the overall workforce. There's a lot of things that are coming out of the Senate Finance Committee as they relate to workforce improvement. And they're really focused a lot on Medicare, Medicaid, Children's Health Insurance Program, because that's what they have direct jurisdiction over. Right. It doesn't mean they wouldn't like to get more broad, you know, they, but they may not be able to have the jurisdiction for it to go that way and to think of whether or not they can get a house vote on it to do what they want. Everyone is in favor of increasing the workforce, but whether or not they weave into that increased penalties for employer-sponsored plans that are, you know, that may be out of compliance because they relied on a network that they, you know, rented for their self-funded plan, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole idea, another thing that's kind of a sleeper issue, but it's under hot discussion right now, is ghost networks. So whether, and what they mean is, is that provider really on that list if in fact he does not take new patients and is only on there to accommodate existing patients? That's what they're offered. Okay. Or maybe the list is just not up to date. Who's responsible? Legislation going through that would make the plan only responsible to the extent that the provider reported back to them correctly. And then there's others that's more punitive than that. Interesting. So those are, it sounds like anything that causes the plan to have to pay fines is not good. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you made an excellent point that when they look at things that impact Medicare and Medicaid, those trickle down and they trickle right down into the commercial markets. They're also looking at, speaking of this, the cross-section, one of the big issues that you just hear almost no public reporting on is the issue of the end-stage renal disease. And the there are lots of providers of dialysis. There are two main ones that provide most of the dialysis in the country. And the smaller ones, you know, are minuscule in the terms of the market share that they have. And they're really pushing for dialysis to be mandated to be in network. Whoever, whichever dialysis wants to do it, you know, that all the dialysis companies would be in network. Interesting. So that costs go up. And then they're also looking at, you know, plans that don't have a network. For example, plans that use reference-based pricing or something uh-huh. like that. There's you know this issue of, well, how do you address the out-of-pocket maximums? And if there are none, because there is no network, right. then does that, the, the question is, does that encourage people for end-stage renal disease to go on to Medicare instead in violation of Medicare secondary payer rules? I understand. Huge discussion. I can imagine because that's, you're talking about a lot of dollars there. And uh, I can see why that would be a hot topic. Members, NAHU members and non-members that want to get involved, they want to learn more about 
what's going on either at the federal level or at the state level. What's the best resource for them at NAHU right now? Is there, share with me if there's a, and I know the answer to this, but <laughs> but there's uh, online support, there's newsletters, there's groups, there's organizations. Uh, how do they get involved, not only to get up to speed on what's going on, but to have the opportunity to get involved and potentially impact at the state or federal level the direction of something. Well, the most important thing is to be a member. I And I can't skip over that because, look, if you're not a member, you're not a member. And if somebody else in your agency is a member and you're not a member, then you're still not a member. That's correct. So we have this stuff pushed to you. you know, we have the Washington update every week. We have a podcast too where there were our government affairs People um, talk about you know what the latest thing is. There are some kind of nuances that you might not have, have thought about. We have a lot of compliance things to sessions to keep you in compliance. All different kinds of things, certification programs. You can be an expert in any of them, and then we have targeted areas, you know, for people that do different things. So we we have so much information. But I will say, um, you know, when you join NAHU, you join um, a local and a state normally. It's a few exceptions, a state and a local chapter as well. So it is, you know, you're, what goes on in terms of state legislation is critical. So it's very important to pay attention to what your chapter is, is doing in that area. And the way you do is that you go to those chapter meetings and you hear about it and, you know, you volunteer to be on committees and, and that kind of thing. In terms of at the national level, at the end of February, we have our annual capital conference, which is I'm going to say one of the best events that we do, and when people go to it, they never want to not go again. It's just such an opportunity to hear from really great speakers talking about important issues that are just right on target with what things that you work on. They're very relevant, and you know you can understand them, and then you go to the Hill to meet with your member of Congress. It's a very important way for us to use our grassroots ability to make a difference. You're, when, you, when you have a, a thousand people or more come to a meeting, and then you all go to the Hill kind of at the same time to visit with, it makes a loud noise. It does. That's impact. And what it's what it tells them is that uh, we are a group that is politically active, and we have the ability to influence elections. And look, they're all running for re-election. Mm -hmm. So if they think you're significant enough to influence elections and that you're smart and informed and thoughtful, and they don't, you don't just go in demanding something without listening also, to what they have to say. Sure. And even if you think that your member of Congress is not the party that you identify with, you'd be surprised. You can find commonality with anybody over something. Sure. And it's a good way to be a part of the process because, I mean, you know, you can never either be a part of the process or be excluded from it. Well, and as you mentioned, it all starts with absolutely being a NAHU member, and it is not it is not expensive to do that. And the resources that are available to you, and it really doesn't matter what discipline of our industry you're in, whether you're a group producer, an individual producer, senior market producer, there's resources and there's tons of information that is there and available to you. And a vast majority of that is available on your time. 
There are things you can download, podcasts you can listen to, seminars you can watch, and participating in the local meetings gives you an opportunity to at least connect with some of the local leaders and, you know, at least have a chance to to connect with people in the industry that you may not know. It's kind of interesting how when we all get together, we find out that we have more common denominators than uncommon denominators. What's a problem for agency A, probably the same problem for agency B or producer A and producer B. And when everybody comes together to try and make things more efficient, everybody wins. So nahu.org, uh, go there today and just scope it out. Wait, 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 wait. Two weeks to find nabip.org. There you go. N-A-B-I-P. Don't want to forget about nabip.org either, but you can you can hit that and it'll give you a really good flavor of the information that is there and will show you what you can unlock with, with your membership. And it's definitely worth doing. Janet, thank you again. Thanks tons for doing this. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to kind of get that feel of the hill and at least have our antenna up to know what's going on behind the doors and uh, whether we should or should not ignore that man behind the curtain. If you would, give me your email address. If somebody's got a specific question, how do they get a hold of you? It's uh, first initial. It's a, so it's J Troutwine. You can see it on my screen up there, how to spell it, T-R-A-U-T-W-E-I-N at org. And if you send it there and, and you're doing it after the first, they'll redirect you to the NABIP address. Awesome. Okay. Well, again, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, maybe this uh, in six months or so, we'll revisit and see what is happening and what isn't happening. Great. I'll All right. Thanks, then, Mike. All right. Thanks, Janet. Well, the only bad news today is that we're at the end of the show. So thanks for listening to the Business of Health podcast. Listening to this show puts your agency in position for success. Remember to click the link below, check out my website at www.firststaffbenefits.com. Give me a shout. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep taking action. Until next time, this is Mike Martins signing off.